This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hey, everyone. So get ready for just a wonderful dose of authenticity and humanness. I so enjoyed my conversation with Jason Ells. He is Senior Vice President at Custom Concrete, and he has such a wonderful outlook on things. And a lot of times we don't think about trade industries or blue-collar industries as being focused on culture and purpose and well-being, but Custom Concrete is doing all of that. And Jason is passionate and on a mission to create a destination employment home at Custom Concrete. And a lot of people talk about that, but they take it from lip service to reality. And when they talk about being a destination employer, their focus is, are we creating a space where first and foremost, people can show up and be the best version of themselves, which is just like speaking to my heart. And do they know that they have their backs? So You're going to want to listen to this episode. Lots of great nuggets of how they do that, how they take care of their people, how they help their people dream and bridge the gap of where they are and where they want to be, moving from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset, and really making sure that people know how they fit into the bigger picture. Just such richness in this conversation. Well, Jason, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I think there's going to be such value for so many people. So I want to dive right in and start with this. So more and more companies these days are focusing on becoming a destination employer. And while I don't mind that term, sometimes I think that people use it as just like, I don't know, the buzzword of the moment. And it's very, very different for you. And so I I want you to elaborate on that. But before I have you do, I think as people are listening to this, one of the things that I'm so excited to talk to you about is that so often we think about culture, when we think about destination employer, purpose, all of these things, we think about them for more traditional white collar industries. And we don't think about them so much for trade industries or blue collar industries. And you're kind of blowing that out of the water, which I love. So can you talk about what being a destination employer means for you at Custom Concrete and why you're so passionate about it. Yeah, thanks, Rosie. I really appreciate being on your show. And I, I love this conversation. It is literally the most favorite thing for me to talk about. So destination employer is a little nebulous. And depending on who you ask, it means different things. But for me and for us, it's sort of like imagine you you show up for the first day and you realize that you've arrived. You've arrived at your dream job, the destination, the place that you can truly be the best version of yourself. Now, that obviously means something different to different people. And that's up to us to try to figure that out. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's for everybody either. So it's not like we can say that we are the destination employer for everyone but it, it is us trying to create an environment where people can be the best version of themselves. And at the end of the day, they know that we have their back. I love that on so many levels because one, we're not meant for everybody, right? When you get clear about who you are, you're going to attract the people that are going to find their home, so, so to speak, for them to be the best version of themselves. So it, that all sounds wonderful. Say a little more about when you think about being the best version of yourself, What does that look like at Custom Concrete? What are some of the things that you're doing that actually moves that from nice idea to reality? 
Yeah. So I, I think Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So you have to start at the very basic level. People need to be compensated fairly and they need their, their basic needs met. But as you move up that pyramid, you start taking care of emotional and financial type of needs. So we have, just from a practical standpoint, we have financial coaches available. We have health and wellness coaches available. We have a company chaplain available for our people at no cost to them, but it's it's available to the employees to meet those needs as a holistic person. Also, I think that we're working hard to try to tap into people's dreams. So you can say Matthew Kelly's dream manager, type of thing, or Simon Sinek, start with why. If we can tap into people's personal why and then connect that with the company's why, we tap into discretionary effort, that ability for them to fully fill on board with what we're doing and buy into it and produce goods and services that move the company forward. I love that. So for people who are listening who might not be familiar with the dream manager concept, one, you should go out and read Matthew Kelly's the book, The Dream Manager. But talk to me a little bit more about specifically how you are leveraging that and helping people dream at Custom Concrete and the difference it's making. In his book, if you haven't read it, you have to go read it. But it really, it's all about as kids, we dreamed and somewhere along the line, we were told not to. I don't know if it's, maybe people thought it was fantasy, but there's something about that bridge between where we are and where we want to go in life that dreams allow us to, to realize. And so just helping people realize their dreams, even if they're small or seemingly small, they do big things as turning the switch from that scarcity mindset to the abundance mindset. It allows us to be creative. It allows us to realize that, hey, what we set our minds to, we can actually achieve and accomplish. And if we can do that in our personal lives, we more than likely can do that in our professional lives. So then you take that abundance mentality and you start applying that to your business. Like, hey, we've got an issue here. What's the opportunity in this so-called calamity that we can learn from, grow from, be better for by the time we get through it? There's a lot in that that I love. One is just fundamentally that mindset shift, like you said, from scarcity to abundance. In my very first season of this, I had the fortune to have Lynn Twist on, who is the author of The Soul of Money. And she talks so much about how from the moment that we get up in the morning, before our feet even hit the ground out of bed, we are in a deficit mindset. It's like, there's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough this. There's not enough that. And we go through life with that not enough of all day long and moving to abundance. Like we have enough just as, as we are and dreaming for what could be. So one of the things that I know when you and I were meeting, prepping for this, we talked about just speaking of that we have to be very real. Like the world is hard right now. The markets are tough right now. It's tough for a lot of industries. And one of the things I so appreciate about the approach that you take with having people feel whole and you have their back and trying to help them out and, and dream and all that is also like, guess what? Sometimes we have to make tough decisions as a business, but we can still do things in a very thoughtful and a very human way. So tell me about how are you working to preserve the work environment in the sense that you have people's back, even when times get tough as a business? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's, it is a constant, I don't want to say battle, but we'll say the tension is real. And I feel like sometimes I'm talking out of both sides of, a, of my mouth. And I think same thing, two things can be true at the same time. We're, we've strived to become a destination employer. So people want to stay, which is great. But unfortunately, when things turn down and we don't have enough jobs to keep everyone on our team, we start having to have some difficult conversations with people. We approach it from the standpoint of 
obviously it's not so much about tenure, it's about what people are bringing to the table and those who share the same mindset of abundance and trying to get through this and being creative and willing to do other things that they've not been willing to do before just to keep the ship afloat. Obviously are, are people who um, we, we want to do everything and anything we can to keep them on the team. I think being fair, not trying to manipulate people and just being really honest with where we're at and why we're having to do what we're doing and if possible, help them land in a spot that's better for them and their family. Because the fact is nobody wants to be part of a company if you know that ship sinks, nobody wants to be a part of that company and it's miserable. So let's just have that conversation up front and often. So I think transparency is key. Hundred percent. I think one of the things we know about the human brain is that in the absence of data, our brain fills it in with story. So in the absence of being transparent when things are challenging, people are going to fill it in and start making up stories, and then you get conspiracy theories, and then trust erodes. I know I've personally experienced organizations where they've had to have a reduction force, they've had to cut back on things, and people have actually rallied because they did it in such a transparent and humane way, and it was kind of like this sense of, yeah, this is tough. And we're all in this together. And man, we are going to rally and come back stronger as a result. Yep. And we've seen that. And that's what I, I would say is so exciting about what we've done. The, the discretionary effort that I like to talk about, we're seeing it played out in real life where people have been asked to join two different teams. We have our offense and our defense, right? So the offensive that we are, we're going after new work, different types of work, geographical locations and so forth and so on, just to try to replace revenue. But then on the other side, we have the defense where it's about cost reduction and being more efficient and trying to pull back in areas that aren't necessary. And when people are a part of that, they understand how real it is, first of all, and it's amazing the things that your people will catch that you just don't see because they're boots on the ground and they see the day-to-day -day stuff. And so to have them on that team working with us, is just, it's a powerful thing. And we've already moved the needle significantly on both fronts because of destination employer, discretionary effort, all the things that I've been preaching for the last few years. I want to go back and have you dig in a little bit more to Destination Employer because you've talked kind of high level at some really awesome things you're doing. And I'm thinking about people who, whether it's lip service right now, or they're thinking, gosh, maybe I should pay more attention to being a Destination Employer. I didn't think that our industry could look at that. What are some of the key things that you feel are absolutely essential that have allowed you to become that Destination Employer and that are allowing you to kind of start to come back through this challenging time with great ideas, with people giving extra discretionary effort. Several things. We plan prototype. We don't have a single most perfect execution plan before we start doing things. A lot of times it's just, hey, let's try this. Let's see if we have success there. And then we do more of it if we do. But it really starts off with, if, if you think about the time in your career where you most enjoyed or most felt engaged, I can almost promise you it's when you thought you were winning. Right. And so I think as employers, we have an obligation, an opportunity to create a high stakes winnable game for our people, right? For each person. They need to know what the goal is as the company and what role they play in helping us get there. If you can create that and then even go back to tying that into their why, their personal why, buying a house, paying off student loans, sending their kids to college, whatever that is you can start creating this, this synergy between where they're wanting to go in their personal life and where you want to go with the company. 
And it's a win-win. It's not manipulative. It is truly like, hey, we want to help you get there, but we've got to get here and this is how we're going to do it. So first, and I like rabbit trails too, so you got to kind of rein me back in. But the first thing I think is to create that high stakes winnable game. And that you do that with scoreboards. You do that with realistic, tangible, quantitative goals, right? What are the things that drive the company forward? And everybody has their place in that. So if you do that and you have the scoreboards, people will know if they're winning or they're losing. They don't have to guess. They don't have to guess whether or not the team's winning or individually, whether or not they're pulling their weight. So then when it comes to those difficult conversations, there's no surprise there. There shouldn't be a surprise. If we do our jobs right, there shouldn't be a surprise when we have to have that difficult conversation, right? Because they know their KPIs or their scoreboards are off. So I think, I think that's one. I think we've already talked about trying to meet the most basic needs as much as possible, as much as our slim margins will allow, trying to, from an emotional or spiritual standpoint, having financial wellness consultants available, health and wellness. We have coaches that come in and work with individuals and or people who maybe are at high risk. We can work with them to create a better and healthier lifestyle for them. So those are some things we've done. We've also worked on our... Um, professional or talent development standpoint. So we have Custom Concrete University, we have LMS, that people can just basic processes within the company and onboarding, but even to how to set up a meeting in our Outlook or what does a PowerPoint look like, how to read a balance sheet or a PL, right? So we have those things where people can really dive in and dig in, not to just in general those things, but specifically to the Custom Concrete way. What I love hearing is that from whether it's the chaplain or the coaches in the various facets is approaching people in a holistic way, not here's a one size fits all box and go check and do this. And yet, even though you've gone through some tough times, you're still investing back in your people because sometimes that's the first stuff that gets cut, right? Rather than realizing, no, they're necessary to help our people be whole so that they can effectively navigate these difficult times. And I think that's a fundamental paradigm shift. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that you don't pivot. It doesn't mean that you don't pull back on certain things so that you can reinvest in other things. But at the end of the day, our people are the most valuable part of our company. So to, to continue to invest in them is, is really a no-brainer. I wish everyone thought that way. But, so one of the things that I'm curious about, um, because I feel like a lot of the things you're doing are so common sense, and a lot of them are kind of the antithesis of business as usual kind of old school management practices. And my experience has been that, like it or not, formal people leaders set the tone. And how do you kind of permeate that mindset where leaders reinforce this culture of you are valued, helping everybody see how they fit into their bigger picture, right? Align their why with the company's why or align their goals with the company goals. What are some of the things you're doing to equip your leaders to keep that alive on a day in day out basis for people. It's tricky. So what comes from the heart goes to the heart, right? So if they don't believe it themselves, they're not going to be able to convey the message, or at least people will see that it's not authentic, right? So I think it starts with showing them how it impacts them personally when they are taken care of and when they grow and when they feel like they're on a winning team and when they're producing goods and services that, to the best of their ability, right? So I think it starts with that group of people. And if they don't believe it, it's probably because they haven't seen it or experienced it. It could be that maybe they have seen it, they do experience, and they're just not a good fit. 
may it could be that they're never going to get it and they don't understand it and it's not going to work. It could be that they don't need to be at that supervisor level if they can't buy into to that that way of doing it. We believe that everybody has an opportunity to show up as a leader. And if you actually also have that formal role, it's a different level of skill set and responsibility. And so often, it doesn't matter what the industry, we promote somebody who's a good individual contributor or they're great at what they do. And then we make them be a supervisor, manager, whatever title you want to get them. And it, again, talk about upskilling and reskilling. It's a totally different mindset and it's a totally different set of behaviors to be able to create those conditions for people versus I have work to do myself. It's almost like that the top performers, they might be top performers because they're not good with people, you know, because they, they're able to focus on the task ahead and all this type of thing. And I wish I could say that we didn't fall into that trap because we have, and we probably will. But the idea of, of taking your top performer and then all of a sudden making them a manager and trusting them, making them a steward of the of these other employees, if they've not been trained or they at least haven't been vetted for that particular skill set, it can be really damaging. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, there's a lot of clients that we work with that we've helped them establish their guiding principles of leadership, which are like their non-negotiables for leaders. And then based on that, when they're looking at assessing the bench strength of either their current leaders or people who they might be considering as future leaders, right? They can look at where are their gaps and how do we intentionally develop them to be ready and or go, well, wow, someone who we thought maybe would be a potential leader is not going to cut it. And I think so often there's not those preliminary steps or thought or intention. It's just, boom, now you're promoted and then figure out if it's a fit or not. And unfortunately, we set up hierarchy to where a lot of times the only way you can be quote unquote, promoted is by managing people. What if there was a different way? What if they could be promoted because they're just really good at what they do and they've mastered their craft and they can be promoted without having to manage people? Just a thought. And I think we need to be thinking that way because some people are really good at what they do, but they're not good with people. And that EQ, although I think can be trained to some degree, it's more natural with, with some people than it is for others. Yeah, I mean, most of our development enhances emotional intelligence, and I think I think it can be trained and taught. And you're right, though, there are people who are resistant to it for a variety of reasons. And if they're unwilling to lean in, because developing emotional intelligence or EQ requires getting vulnerable, it requires getting uncomfortable, it requires looking in the mirror. And people who aren't willing to do that are not going to be able to build that emotional intelligence. And if you can't build that, you're not going to be a good leader. I mean, once upon a time, emotional intelligence and communication and listening and empathy were called soft skills. And thankfully now they're being called power skills or essential skills because it's a deal breaker. I would almost say superpower, right? 100%. So I can't remember the stats. So somebody can fact check me and tell me I'm wrong. But if I'm not mistaken, what I understand with academia, 75% of success in academia is due to IQ. It's your intellectual quotient whereas only 25% is emotional, right? Real world, that flips on its head, where 75% of your success comes from your ability to deal with people and having that emotional intelligence. And it's unfortunate that that learning of those skills starts after they've started their career. Oh, yeah. There are so many groups that we work with that are like, we should have learned this in school or the type of training we have actually trained this out of us. And now we're having to relearn it. And you feel kind of like a fish out of water. Like if we don't equip people to 
not only be more emotionally literate so they can be more emotionally intelligent. Cause if I can't even name what I'm feeling, if I can't even recognize that I'm having a feeling, if I'm jumping to toxic positivity or shoving it down or whatever, I'm not going to get very far. And then if I also can't deal with people on my team or people within my span of care, having difficult emotions, like we run around as this triggered 10 year old or 12 year old version of ourself that just fundamentally gets in our way and it wreaks havoc all over the place. So speaking of that 10-year-old or 12-year-old version of ourself, and speaking of vulnerability, one of the things that I am passionate about is normalizing the messiness of being human. And that when we're in that self-protective space, that scarcity mindset, as you talked about, we create the story that we're the only one that does it. And I know there's been a lot of unfortunate news lately. People that are famous are taking their lives and emotional and mental health is hard. And I think when we're in that spot, we just, we feel alone and we're not. So many people struggle. So I would love it, Jason, if you'd be willing to be brave and step into the arena and share what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself and when it rears its ugly head, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader in your life and maximize your positive impact? I'm happy to share a story. And vulnerability is, is not something that I that I'm afraid of because I really don't have anything to prove <laughs> or, or maybe anything to lose, I guess, depending on which, which way you look at it. So I, I think this, it's probably, it's that 10 year old, maybe 12 year old little boy that is maybe picked on in school or just didn't do a good job in school. I was not a good student. If you went back and talked to my teachers, they would say, oh yeah, we remember him. And just being told that I would not be successful and I would likely not make it very far in life because of my lack of intellectual quotient, right? My IQ. I just, I didn't quite get it. I didn't really learn how to learn until I was 24, 25 years old. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But so that, that little boy is sort of always in, in my ear saying, you what are you doing? It's sort of your imposter. You're going to get found out. Some You can't be doing in your role with with your lack of credentials and this and that. And I've gotten to the point where I almost embrace that. And I think it's sort of this idea of, you know what, because of that, I'm going to prove to those people that I can do it and I'm going to do it and I am doing it. So I don't know if that helps or not, but there, there's always that in the back of my head of, of the people when I was young telling me that I couldn't do it and I wouldn't make it. It just, it just makes me cringe. Who the hell would say that to a kid? I mean, my son is 12 and it's just like, ah, right. But it happens all the time. And whether it's overt, like happened to you or, or subtle, the messages that we get. So one, thank you for sharing that Two, What came up for me, as you said, that is two things. One, it's, I always talk about that our 10 year old version of ourselves, give or take a couple of years, hijacks us more than we realize because we download these programs as children. It's like our brains download programs by observing our environments. And we, from our experiences of just watching the world around us to things that happen to us directly, we start to learn what is right, what is wrong, when to speak up, when to be quiet, what's accepted, what's not. And so we create kind of these rules of like, oh, what? I'm not a good learner. I'm not a good student, or I'm not this, or I'm never going to be this. And what's so sad about that is that 70% of studies show that all of that crap we download, that programming is flawed, negative, and self-sabotaging. And that 10-year-old version of ourself running on flawed programming 
takes over when we're feeling vulnerable, takes over when we're stressed, takes over when things seem tough. And so you think about like, would I let my 10-year-old self balance my bank accounts? Would I let my 10-year-old self drive a car? Like, I don't think so, but that 10-year-old self shows up. So you're in good company. So sometimes we just have to give that 10-year-old or 12-year-old version of ourselves a little love and say, I'm not 10 or 12 anymore. Well, the, the, the thing is, and I know that you're you're way more qualified in this era than me, but it seems like that 10-year-old is actually is behind the steering wheel of the subconscious, which is such a powerful thing in our lives and we don't give it enough credit. And so if we're not careful, that 10-year-old boy or girl or whatever is listening. And so when we give it ammunition, it will take over and our subconscious is a powerful thing. So I think we need to, one, know ourselves and then two, positivity goes a long ways in helping our psyche. So I, I would say I, I kind of work in spite of it. I don't need a four-year degree or an MBA to be successful. What the prerequisite is passion and hard work. I have that, so I use it. I love it. Well, and you know, one of the things that we always say is that we have to start to talk to ourselves like we would talk to someone we love. And I saw someone actually post on LinkedIn today referencing Kristen Neff's work. She does some great work on self-compassion. And like we, we all have different skill sets, right? And no matter what we do in this world, that doesn't define us. It's how we show up and what we do with our gifts and talents. The other thing that it brought up for me, that since we talked about like we're giving people all kinds of references, I don't know if you're familiar with David Rendell. He wrote a book called The Freak Factor, and he wrote a book called The Freak Factor for Kids. And if you Google him, he's got TED Talks and stuff. But he talks about what makes you weird makes you wonderful. And so often when we're put in those boxes when we're kids, right? So like, oh, like, oh, you're not going to be successful because you can't do this. Like, that's actually what makes you wonderful, right? But it didn't fit whatever mold that person has. And so I love that you embrace it because no, like, we're, we all have a different role to play and we don't have to fit into this box to be amazing. And like, I love it. Your whole focus on can people be their fully authentic selves at work and in their life? And I think you're embodying that and creating a safe space for others. So that's just awesome. Like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. All right. Are you ready for quick questions? Sure. Let's do this. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Difficult. True that. <laughs> when the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Ask a friend to help. I love that. You're not meant to go it alone. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? This is supposed to be quick, quick answers. <laughs> Quickish. So I'm a grandpa. I'm a young, young grandpa. I'm 45. I have a grandson, super proud of him. And what's cool is he has two different great grandparents. So five generations. So it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited about that. What's his name? Archie. So Archer Clark Ells. Archie. I have a brother-in-law named Archie. So there you go. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite go-to movie? Oh, well, this time of year, it's Elf. <laughs> it's so good. If not that, then I would have to say Braveheart just because, I mean, it just, that gets me fired up. Yes. Okay. Uh, what's your go-to song? Boy, I don't know. These are tough questions. Go-to song. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to have to pass. I don't know that I have oh, one. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Is that too bad? <laughs> you have a genre? Do you have an artist? Um, I would say I, I do like um, sort of that, that old school rock. And when I say old school, I'm talking like 80s, 90s uh, era type of rock. 
I know, don't call it old school because I feel like, oh my God, when 80s were on like the the oldies channel, I'm like, really? Oh, anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's happening. I do like some good 80s hair band. That, that's my era. So, okay. All right. What's something you can't live without? My wife. It's good. For sure. <laughs> that's good. She'll appreciate that. <laughs> what is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? I think just being able to have a space at my house, walk around and work on things and just be out in nature. And what are you grateful for right now? My career. That's awesome. So Jason, this is my closing question. If you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? I think we were always taught as kids to to not offend people. And I think that's kind of a given where we say, hey, don't offend people. But I would challenge people to work harder on not being offended. Yeah, taking in that feedback as a gift and an opportunity to shine a light on things we might not see. Or at least just be gracious with people's intent. I don't think that people are intentionally trying to offend you, even though it comes across offensive. If we were just gracious with people and give them the gift of grace, right? Being gracious. I think we could go a long ways in calming people down right now. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com. And of course, hit that follow button.